and welcome to Cosmic Voices, a monthly radio show dedicated to conscious conversation. This is Ramona Ray, and normally we have our co-host Dulcie Balboli with us. With us, Dulcie's taking a little bit of a brief hiatus. We miss you, Dulcie, and um, we have a special guest with us today. We have Elizabeth Clark with us. Um, we're so happy to have you with us, Elizabeth. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I want to remind you, though, first that support for Cosmic Voices comes from the staff at Main Street Minerals and Beads at 524 Main Street. Main Street Minerals and Beads is your source for beads, rocks, findings, and jewelry in Grand Junction. More information is available at 241-4116. So Elizabeth Clark has been a mental health therapist for the last 30 years. Working or more. Or more. <laughs> counting. Have, have you lost count? <laughs> I have. Working mainly with teenagers. She's also an author. I don't remember the name of your book. Um, I love sex and no regrets for today's teens. <laughs> oh, I love that. Love sex and no regrets for today's teens. How can you go wrong with that? And she's also a presenter for the Western Community NOAA Western Colorado Community Foundation grant called CyberStrong where she talks to parents and kids together about the best ways to utilize technology. Yes. Elizabeth, I'm always so happy to have you here with us. I'm always so happy to be here. <laughs> cool. We always laugh, don't we? Yes. Um, tell, us, tell us about CyberStrong. I'm not sure what CyberStrong is. Yes, yeah, CyberStrong um, came about a couple of years ago. We, you know, we had a, a pretty rough couple of years with our teens in the valley and um, a bunch of people were getting together saying you know what sort of things are influencing our kids um, there's been clearly an increase in depressive and anxious symptoms in teens across the nation and across the globe so everybody had their theories and different things were getting started and I'd met with um, I, th I think we started off with me and Mike Stahl were having lunch and he's uh, the CEO of um, of Hilltop Services. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking, and I I have, since I've been a therapist for 30 years, I've really watched the difference in teens as technology slowly became a bigger and bigger and bigger part of their lives. And I was talking to him about some of my concerns with technology, the negative aspects of um, that I've seen on, like, kid development and this, their social interactions. And I, and he said, well, you know, what do you want to do with that? And I said, I'd really love to be able to gather with kids and their parents together and start having conversations about technology in their lives and their families' lives. And it sort of morphed from a very broad sort of topics. We would talk about anything that, you know, I'd, I'd show up. I, I've, I did like 26 presentations last year all um, at schools, at different high schools and middle schools and at the library. And we would talk about just any aspect of the cyber world and the internet. Um, and it was way too broad, like just way too broad. So what we started honing it to were conversations about the best practices in our real life life and then, and then how we use technology. What sort of things could we do to ensure that the you know our cell phones our tablets our computers that they were things that helped us in our lives added to our lives connected us better to ideas and people um, helped us be more creative helped us be able to produce and publish and and share our creations um, our works as opposed to something that was very oppressive that took our time took our money took our confidence and our sense of safety um, and has diminished our lives. So what, what we've I've been able to do is meet 
uh, first of all, it's it's funded by the Western uh, um, Western Colorado Community Foundation, and we get to bring food. So we always have dinner ahead of time, and I always get pupusas from um, Will's truck. I forget. I, I think it's called the Pupusaria, but it's on 29 and North, and people who know this it's like the best food ever. Um, and a pupusa is a Salvadorian. It's sort of like a, a pancake made out of masa and it's filled with all sorts of good stuff with a salsa on top. And so anyways, that starts off every evening that we do. And then we have conversations, um, uh, starts off with parents and their kids in their family group, start talking about their favorite memories ever in their families. So parents and kids are talking about, you know, you get to, I get to overhear all these great stories about, you know, travel or cooking or art or sports or whatever it is. Each family has their own set of their favorite, favorite things. And then from there, we have them say, from, from what you've talked about with your favorite, val- you know, your favorite um, memories, what does that say about your family? What's your family value the most? And it could be the outdoors. It could be uh, you know, hanging out with the larger family. It could be eating well or cooking or, or farming or, you know, gaming, you know, everybody had their, their things. And then, so what, so what does it say about the family's values? And then we talk about what we love about um, the internet, the, the use of technology, what things we love. Um, and so all the kids are like, we love gaming, you know, and parents are, we love Facebook and they all talk about the things that they love. And this are, you know, just within the family group. And then we talk about what we don't like about technology and the questions are, what don't you like about technology when you're using it? Then what don't you like about technology when somebody else is using it and you're not using it? And then what don't we like about technology? Like in what ways does technology get in the way, get between you and your families? good times and the things that we've talked about that you value. And then from then there we go into very simple, free, easy things we can do when we're on technology to help um, us be strong while we're, while we're sort of in that world. And then what can we do in the real world that just strengthens our brains to a point that when we start using technology, we use it well. Um, Because we really know there's a difference that if I go on, if I turn, I get on my phone and I'm feeling angry or um, alone or misunderstood or scared or if I'm super judgmental of others or myself, we go into that world very differently than when if we go in and we're feeling really strong and we're fine. We stay on a lot longer. We tend to go places we shouldn't. We spend money we shouldn't. We spend our time and our focus in ways that don't help, um, don't help us or our family. In fact, they tend to drain us and exhaust our brain and exhaust our lives. So, um, so that's basically not a short answer to what's <laughs> cyber strong, but that's what's cyber strong. It's just a, a series of presentations that have been given all over the valley. And now we're kind of focusing mostly on the elementary schools um, and their, the kids and the parents in the elementary schools this year. Isn't it amazing that we have to talk to kids in elementary school about um technology it's the best time too though because i think when i think technology just took us you know took us by surprise it was just so cool and we just were like ah you know this is the greatest thing and and we had no it was unfettered our use of um, technology and especially with kids and so i really love when parents have young kids you know they're pretty concerned and if you start giving them really practical stuff when their kids are little I think that the consequences of technology, the negative co- consequences are greatly diminished as opposed to the kids 
that when we when technology showed up, we just handed them everything and felt really excited to be able to give our kids the world, you know, exactly. this whole other world. All of that information. Yeah. Yeah. An opportunity. I love the way you talk about this, starting about, you know, what's wonderful about the family and how they enjoyed being together and their special memories. You know, what a great way to, to bring them into the conversation and to put them in that positive place about this whole thing and then expand that to the family and the community and then to technology. But you talk about being strong going into technology. Is that coming from a strong family place or is that something that, I mean, are there specific parameters you're putting on that when they're going into technology? Um, that was five questions, Ramona, and one. <laughs> so I'm just going to answer what I want to answer. Okay, that's uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, truthfully, I think that if we focus on really strong brain function and emotion function, and so I'll get more specific because you have this Thank like you. bewildered look on your face. Yeah. And how um, am I going to do that? Yeah, okay. exactly. Well, I've been a therapist for a long time, right? And and therapy in the old days until... So the good news about technology, I'm going to go back to that thought. But the good news about technology is that we... It, innovations are happening so much faster than they used to because everybody's research and everybody's experiences we can share really really quickly and so we're we're innovating and learning new things and, and upgrading our technology so so as a therapist in the old days you know we didn't know why people acted i mean it felt like being a witch doctor you know like hey try this and you know we tried to we tried to blame everything on mothers you know i took a lot of classes <laughs> on like how to blame your mother for everything which really actually isn't the answer to all, everything but, you know, we would just always try, you know, try this, try this, blah, blah, blah. But now we're able to see through brain scans and the scanning technology what actually happens when we're anxious, when we're angry, when we've popped hot, when we're calm. And we've learned that we have a lot more control over our emotions and our ability to regulate ourselves and to not be in fight or flight um, we used to think we were just bags in the wind, like, oh, I woke up depressed today. It might be, uh, you know, kind of lick your finger, test the wind. Oh, maybe this will be, you know, two days of feeling down or, you know, you just sort of just didn't have a lot of control. But over all this of thing. that is part of the human spectrum, though, right? I mean, some days you just feel ecstatic and some days not so much. Yes, but I do believe that we have a lot more control than we used to have. And I really... You know, they really talk about the plasticity. We can change our behaviors. We can change our emotions almost on a dime. And and I'm not saying that that's that the human condition is just all, you know, sing song and, you know, Pollyanna. rainbows and yeah, Pollyanna. But, I, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Right. But if you can I mean, if you look at like our ability to function, like if we're super anxious, depressed, um, angry, judgmental, self, you know, self-loathing, we, that takes a lot of fuel, and not, a, and and we don't tend to function as higher when we're in those states. We tend to just, it, and we're not having fun. And we're not having any fun, and fun is actually pretty darn important. And so, what we're finding is that we can do certain things, um, just real simple things that can help our brain get very strong and we can more quickly get into and out of um, sort of depressive states, anxious states. Um, yeah. And it's called plasticity and the brain really just, we can do. And what I, I love this book, it's called focus and it's by Daniel Goldman, the guy who wrote emotional intelligence. And what he does is he talks about how 
um, basically we can do these exercises. We could try, try these things and it's almost like doing a sit up or a crunch. So I like the idea of having like, you know, a neural six pack, um, that, you know, oh, cause I'm it. pretty sure all of us, I'm pretty sure all of us, if we wanted a, you know, a, a, a stomach six pack, um, a torso six pack, all we'd have to do is an awful lot of crunches and different, you know, different sort of movements daily. And we can get really, really hard washboard stomachs. Clearly, that's not something that I I want to do, but um, but I do want a neural six pack. I want to be, I want to function as high as possible. I want to have a lot more fun than anxiety and depression. Um, so, so anyways, that's what that's the cool thing about being a therapist at this time. The hard thing is the hard impacts of technology that this it's had on psychology, it had on our social our social skills. But um, but the good news is that there's there's ways to get stronger and so that neurologically stronger so that when we do go into technology, when our kids go into technology, they, um, again, it, it's, it's more of a positive than a negative. Well, this is one of the things I'm very passionate about is helping our kids. I mean, we've had such horrible statistics about kids in this area committing yes. suicide, which yes. I just breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, and I do, I mean, I, I'm loving what you're saying, but it's the idea that I do believe we have choice, that we can teach ourselves to choose. I mean, like if, if I wake up today and I'm depressed, I can do things, I can choose to do things to elevate my mood, to take me to a different place. Is this what I'm hearing you say? Yes. So do you give kids specifics like try this, try that, this might help you? Is it different for every every child or is it something that... Is it a universal uh, technique? Well, I think it's sort of a bag. It's always good to have a bag of tricks. And everybody has different things that they just like better than others. But we really do know that there is a whole bag of tricks that we could, that can help us um, bump out of um, more stress response. So I want to I get on my soapbox about this one thing. Sure. We, we got time. We'll go all over the place here. But um, so, so... When I was in school learning about diagnosing stuff like depression and anxiety, there were always the symptoms of depression and anxiety. We all know what they are. But we always had to rule out stress. That if there was stress in your life, if there was a stressful situation, then depression and anxiety, depressive symptoms, anxious symptoms are no da. That's what happens when you're stressed. Not that you have some chemical or brain deep, you know, sort of deviation that would be called depression or anxiety. So it was a very small percent of the population that would have true depression or true anxiety, meaning everything's pretty dang great. Yeah, sort of chemically. Um, And electric, you know, we always talk chemical because the pharmaceutical companies love us to talk about the chemistry. But truthfully, just as much, if not more, is happening electrical. And that's the stuff we have a lot of control over is just the electrical stuff that happens in our brains. Um, I love this information. So, 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 anyways, um, so, um, I sort of lost my train of thought. Um, Your so, electrical bag of tricks. Yeah. So the bag of tricks, and so I think so. What I want to say about technology and in the, this day and age is everybody's getting diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I mean, you just get a lot. I mean, just how many kids, how many people are on antidepressants? How much is you know, this mental health crisis and they want mental health workers everywhere. And 
And my problem is, is that they're diagnosing everybody with depression and, and anxiety. But if you look at just the advent and the impact of technology in our daily lives over the last 10 years, and I'll go over the reasons why, it, it itself, this huge thing has happened culturally. We've been alive during the biggest cultural shift of, of human history, and that's technology. And it has been very hard on our brains. And that is just a giant stressor. And I'm going to go over the reasons why it's so stressful. But I really think that this, like this huge burst of kids being depressed and anxious is really just that we haven't quite figured out how to live with and within technology. And that really it's just a stress response. And I mean, there are people with true depression and anxiety. I'm not saying there aren't. But I really think that we're treating everyone as if they're mentally ill, as opposed to that there, many people are responding fairly normally to high stress and the high stress that technology has has brought. Um, uh, so you were going to tell us why? Okay, why this this yeah. whole um, so this is okay. cultural revolution of technology has caused this depression? Okay, so our brains have not altered; they do not adapt quickly. Our brains are very much still. Um, neural pathways are yeah they're very much still set up to be in a fairly unsafe environment more like when we were hunters gatherers more like before we had figured out you know how to have um shelters that are very very stable and you know predators can't get in cold can't get in when we didn't when we haven't had when we didn't have abundance of food readily available when that we could we could be we could eat the wrong thing we could not have food we could starve we could be you know attacked by mountain lions you know like in abundance because we weren't safe our brains are really set with number one safety so it's all our brains are always set to be on the lookout for something unsafe now most of us live 99.9 percent of our lives physically safe we don't have actual um, experiences, most of us don't, of physical danger to our bodies. Um, you know, there are people that live in domestic violence. There are people that live in war zones. There are people that live with terminal illnesses or, or life-threatening illnesses that do live in life-or-death situations. But most of us, for most of our days, live fairly safely. But the brain is always on the lookout, and it and it's... And it's got a, a mode, the fight or flight mode, that can very easily be triggered. So I could be driving here and I could be going down Broadway and some guy might find 25 miles per hour the right speed for him. And I might be behind this person and I can get into fight or flight. My, and so fight or flight, we all know three of the five things that happen. One, we all know our heart rate goes up. Two, we all know we start breathing shallowly so that we could fight or flee. Um, three, we all know adrenaline, some sort of a, a stress hormone will flood our body so that we could fight something or flee. We know those three things. The other two things that happen is our digestion stops immediately. So this will happen whether there's a bear running in this room or whether the guy going 25 miles an hour is annoying me. Um, so my digestion stops because digestion takes a lot of blood and energy and what we need for our true fight or flight for the bear that I have to fight or flee is I need all that blood and energy to be in my um, joints. I need it in my limbs so that I could fight the bear or flee. 
Um, so what happens is you have a lot of people with belly problems. When you can tell when there's a lot of stress in a culture, when you see a lot of people with belly problems. Um, I get a lot of belly problems in my therapy because people have gone to the doctor and there's no good reason why they have belly aches, but they constantly have belly aches. And um, and that's a, that's a symptom of being stressed, being in fight or flight um, frequently. And then the last thing, and this is the most important thing, is that when the fight or flight um, response turns in, and it's also called a stress response, um, when that, and it's also called a parasympathetic, there's lots of words, but that's, they're all the same thing. Um, when that gets engaged, our frontal lobe lubes, the part of us that thinks and problem solves and creates and connects with others and communicates, well, that just shuts down and it, it, it stops take, it, it is not in control. It's in control when we're not in fight or flight, but when we aren't in control, it just shuts down. And the amygdala, which is just this very small gland that just like, just completely takes over for you know fighting the bear or fleeing it takes over and so whenever you if you ever have a fight like a verbal fight with somebody about something very important to you and you get heated and it becomes it feels life or death and so you're in the fighter you know in fight or flight your response is always just dumb right you're like uh-uh no <laughs> you don't say oh i disagree because blah 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 and i read this research project and i i had this experience we're like no you're stupid and that's wrong and you're dumb and and so it, a lot of times when people are dumb you know when i think that was like the dumbest thing somebody said it's usually because their frontal lobe is shut down because they're anxious or they're angry or they're you know they've they've sparked the stress response and so their their frontal lobe shuts down and so um so anyways I'm going over that so that now we can talk about why technology stresses these really sweet brains. Um, And so it, it, and what it does is the things that I'm going to say, they just, they bump us into the stress response, the fight or flight, the parasympathetic. So here's the reasons we're going to go over them. The first one is that it takes um, technology showed up and it, it's a very demanding friend it, it takes a lot of time for us to check our social media, to re, to, to look up, to at, respond, to respond, to get upset about the social media, to read the headlines, to shop, to game, to look up um, things, to watch YouTube. Like it takes hours and hours and hours. And we're, we're, you know, there's different numbers of hours that everybody spends, but all of us, it takes hours in our day to look at that device, especially our phones, but we didn't get one more minute added to our days. So we were busy people before just keeping our bodies, our homes, our jobs, our children, you know, together. We were busy people. We didn't have like hours that we're just sitting around going, what should we be doing? You know, we didn't, we just didn't have a lot of time. And yet we have this, that technology taking, you know, three to 10 hours a day of of our lives. And so that in itself, anytime it's sort of like getting another job on top of our job or, you know, twins on top of our already big family, it just takes a lot of our time. So that's a stressful thing. Anytime you in, you have seemingly more to do in the day than you have time is a stressful thing. That's one, one way it stressed us. The second and a huge thing is that, um, the biggest health crisis in the globe right now is actually technology um, sort of influence, which is um, we're not sleeping enough. We don't sleep long enough or deep enough. 
and we're starting to see through technology is that we have to have like minimal sex, but really about eight hours of sleep or the brain does not calm, cleanse. It is not functioning very well. And so it's sort of like when we have technology, um, we're sleeping about the way, you know, parents of, an, of you know, one, newborns sleep. Our, our, our attention is still a little bit, you know, listening for that baby crying, but it's listening for the buzz or the light or the beep. Um, and we tend to just not sleep as long, partly because the actual light that comes from our technology emulates the sun. And so we don't start our sleep process, which takes hours before you actually fall asleep, um, until we turn off technology, which we tend not to turn off um, until later into the night. So globally, people that are that have that have the means to have technology, those countries, people are not sleeping as well. And this is going on. You know, it's okay to not sleep well for a night or two, but this is going on for years and years and years. And especially with our kids who definitely need eight to ten hours of sleep, that's becoming a huge, a huge problem. So that's stressing human beings. Um, the other thing that's stressing human beings is that. The brain itself needs, the frontal lobe needs to rest. So when we're reading a book, we're reading a book, and when our brain, our frontal lobe needs a rest, the way it works is it focuses intently, and then it takes a break. So you read your book, and then all of a sudden it says, your brain just says, eh, shut the book. And we shut the book, we put it down, we go do something else. At that point when we're cooking or, you know, walking or talking to the, you know, playing with the dog, whatever, the frontal lobe has a little bit of time to relax and regroup, and then all of a sudden we want to sit down and focus again, and we read and we start reading some more. Um, technology does not allow the brain to say it's time. It's time to turn this off right now. I've had enough stimulation and enough information, and so the frontal lobe does not get a break very often. It's like people who are chronically like working all the time. So that's another huge stressor. And then finally, that environment, techno, uh, the, the environment of technology is really quite oppressive. Um, and, and these are the reasons it's quite oppressive. One is it used to be we used to believe things. We used to believe sources. We used to believe, oh, mm. this research. And this is having technology is like having a very intimate friend who's a big fat liar because like you never know if, if you've had a big fat liar as a friend, you never know because some of the stuff they say is true and some of the stuff they say isn't true. And now we know that, oh, this might be a news source I usually trust. But we know other people come in and make that same no- news source, you know, look just like your news source and tell lies. And so we're just finding that like you can look up anything in the world like I don't know what's the best color in the world, you know. There's going to be research that proving that red is the best color and there's going to be research that's showing red is the worst color. And it's like we don't have any just truth. We don't have it, – it's hard to find what's true in technology and in, in the well, information. Well, true, true for yourself though. Well, no, I mean just just a lot of time true, we really – Universal get, truth? We get, no, we get misinformation, true yeah. misinformation. You know, people really trying to like lie to us and not telling us the truth. Um and then we, and it's very hard to sort what is accurate and what isn't accurate. Um, yeah, not even getting into true for yourself and, you know, that. And then the other thing is that then there's, um, so, so there's misinformation. There's also a let, it's not, we don't really understand how not private and insecure, unsecure it is. 
but our you know our information our money our um our thoughts our our our, our pictures our pictures our pictures um videos we you know it feels pretty private but we're starting to get that it's just so not private and that's that's a really difficult thing and you know people could be looking at us and hearing us um at a on a regular listening basis to us. listening to us Ooh. i know so that there's that and then finally the people that profit in the in in technology the thing that is of the most worth for them and is our power is our time and our focus and so anybody who wants to profit in that world needs our time and our focus and so because there's you know 5 billion websites i can check or sites i can look into in order to get our attention, because there's just so many things to go into, they those people have discovered that the smartest thing to do is to send us into fight or flight, is to deregulate us, is to activate our parasympathetic. So if there's an article on a really cool um, way that some third world nation is figuring out how to filter water inexpensively or there's an article on the five things in your kitchen that will kill you, your brain's going to go to the five things in the kitchen that will kill you. Um, and so so they they tend to, to just sensationalize and just have all these things of like terror, anger. Mm. And so the things when you when you're in the parasympathetic, when you're in fight or flight, you know you are if you're angry, scared, judgmental of others or self or self um, doubting yourself, self-loathing. Um so so that's what they do. They anger us, they terrorize us, they divide us, they make us not like try to judge others and then they make us doubt ourselves. And and that's what they use in abundance. And that's why I really to think hook that us. to hook us just so that our poor little sweet brains that all they want to do is keep us safe. They go, "What? What are those five things in my kitchen that will kill you? I know the knives, but the sponge, you know, they're, they're just like, they're, oh, they're, they're just, they're sweet. I think our brains are, are, you know, that, that survival thing is so sweet and they're so easily, you know, directed towards, you know, like an up, you know, Doug the dog, like squirrel. They're so easily looking for the squirrel at Elizabeth, all times. you know you're freaking me out here. I just want to remind you that our, you're listening to Cosmic Voices and our special guest today is Elizabeth Clark. And we're talking about, um, she's she's a therapist with kids, with teenagers and elementary school kids. And she, she teach, she's involved in this pro- program called CyberStrong where she meets with kids and their parents and they talk about ways to interact with technology in a positive, strong way to make it a better experience for them and help them to ex- to survive the the technological experience as they move into move through their their youth. Yes. And so, she's and she's telling us how it's going to kill us. Now she's going to tell us how it's going to how we're going to sur- survive this whole experience. Well, what I am telling you about is just that it is stressful yes. and we don't we have not acknowledged just how stressful tech, you know this this massive use of technology has been and mainly just because of our sweet brains and how they work and then people are always trying to figure out how to make a buck and they have figured out that just you know using technology and scaring us and angering us and dividing us is the easiest way to get our brains to go what and to look a certain way now what we what i talk about in my presentation is there's some very simple things we can do to make us go in a lot stronger. Um, and so one of them is just um, 
uh, for sleep, you know, for, for, we just need to really simply, you get on your phone, you go to the settings for, um, uh, for, uh, light and brightness and you just change, uh, your setting to night shift. I think it's called night shift and you just do it from dawn to dusk. And so at, you know, at dusk, it just changes the, the color of the, the, the light from the, the sunlight sort of color into a color that's more like d- dusk. Um, and so that helps us start our sleep process in a natural way with the, with the earth, which is when the sun sets, we start doing that naturally. Or you can change it so you don't get any notifications from well, like... Well, that, that, but the first one is just if you want to look at, if you want to keep looking at your technology after... after disconnected for... Right. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes you're, I mean, that's kind of when a lot of people have a little uh, extra okay. time and so they're online. So it's better just to have that light, the right light coming towards you because then your body can start the, the shifting. The other is to turn the sucker off unless unless somebody needs your kidney or you are on call because of your job i think all technology off and everybody's like but how that's my alarm (laughs) clock and i'm like you know what there are these things called alarm clocks um and then you don't have to have that beeping the light even when you don't see it it i mean if you don't hear it or respond to it it does off off i mean off there do you know there is actually a button on the phone that turns that off like people don't know that they can turn off. <laughs> okay. So turning off that definitely never and starting at a young age, never having technology in your kid's room ever, ever. There's Television, no cable, all that kind of all that stuff. all supposed to be off. Yeah. Off. Off. Okay. So when you're sleeping. Being the devil's advocate here, I mean, you're talking to a group of young people and their parents, and, and kids are indoctrinated into having a cell phone, having an iPad, having all of this stuff at a very early age. Yeah. And and it's like, so are you coming at this? I mean, are you, I mean, and I know you can't, well, I don't know, maybe you can't. Are, are we recommending limiting time? Are we rec- recommending like not let, letting them have a phone until they're a certain age, or how do you, how do you approach that? Um, well, one thing is at night, yeah, I just say never. Devices are just not in your room, and everything is off, so your brain can go to sleep. Um, that's that's and the the thing is, is when that when technology first came and we handed everything to kids, you know, unfettered, that was a big deal. But like most people now, with their kids, don't let their kids have their technology at night. It's almost becoming like smoking in front of your kids, you know, like that's like. That didn't. That wasn't a taboo when we were the kids. It's now a taboo. No one lets their kids smoke. I mean, no one smokes in front of their kids, and and nobody lets their kids have technology at night. It you know everybody grabs their kids' phones. They're turned off. They're charged. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a pretty. It's becoming the social norm to not allow your kids to have technology at night. You know, younger kids, the smartest way to go about like. Sm- phones is to start with flip phones. I think that that's really actually what the, I think the American Pediatrics, I know a lot of research has shown that small kids, so that they can call their parents, so they can call places, just get flip phones um, so that they're they're not connected to the internet because the internet is like New York City. You don't drop your kid off in New York City, you know, by themselves and say, hey, have a great day or a great evening. So, so they don't do that. Yes. Oh, what? It, give their kids, I mean, flip phones yes. instead of um, iPhone. Yes. I mean, yeah. I think that's a great idea. Well, I just... th- there's becoming more and more phones for small, younger kids that are sort of being marketed for them. 
Um, I had this one kid. It was so funny. So he had a flip phone, but now I guess it had some internet because he was able to, it had very few people he could talk to and like one little game and some sound effects. And, but it, it also, his mother on her phone could see everything he was doing. So he and I were talking and he started playing with his, his sound effects as like, wah, 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 because he thought that was funny. And then his mom saw that he was playing with his phone during our session and just turned it off. <laughs> so there's oh. more and more of these things where people are starting to learn, kids are starting to learn how to turn stuff off because their parents are, you know, kind of changing the technology. There's sort of technology where you can slowly grow into using it more and more independently. And and that's actually happening through the phone companies. Um, yeah. And yeah. I I just think it's, course i'm dating myself here i just am amazed and sort of shocked when i see very small children having iphones and and i agree it's probably good to be able to connect with their parents to call them if they need help that kind of thing but i mean to be able to access anything on the internet or i mean that just i really think that the the idea that it is it is a big it's new york city and new york city is a fantastic place but we do not drop small children off at new york city because bad things can happen and you don't let your kid get on the internet without you being right nearby going with them. Um, yeah. So, so are they receptive to this? I think, yeah, many, many families are, I think the families that are having the hardest time are people who work a lot that the kids are alone after school. I I think it's harder not to, to be able to monitor, um, technology. Um, with you know there are there are some situations like when people work later at night and stuff that they have a harder time monitoring their kids but it's becoming more of a norm for you know having your kids slowly get into that world to go with them into that world you know just sort of hand things to them um it, it, things are shifting it's becoming sort of you know like, to a positive place. Yeah. Positive. Oh, I do. I just think it was just so exciting at first. We just were unfettered and now we're starting to like pull back and starting to have. What about the social interaction piece though? I mean, in my mind, I, I worry that when, you know, the people that text constantly, I mean, are they losing the ability to interact in a positive way socially? Um, I really think yes. Um, there definitely is very disturbing statistics on how, how much less we interact face to face, um, that we don't gather as much together as, as human beings. Um, I think three years ago, four years ago, the stat was 18% less. I think it's up to like 20 something, like 25 or something. growing. Yeah. That, that we are, we are gathering together less. Um, and that's a big deal. What they find with small children is that, if they're online a lot, if they're looking at screens a lot, they're losing their ability to read emotional responses through facial features. Um, they're um, having um, shorter friendships. Their friendships aren't lasting as long. Um, the higher conflict. Um, and those are pretty big problems. I mean, I think, and so one of the things that the American Pediatric Association suggested at one point they were tr- they were trying really hard to come up with like how many hours and what sort of stuff and you know because it's a really it's so sure. complicated and at one point at least around gaming I loved this they said if you do these three things in real life your kids and you are probably going to be okay with technology and they were one have dinner together at least four nights a week 
to reduce harsh punishment because harsh punishment, you know, is a real huge uh, energy burner. And it's kind of like we don't have the energy, like we almost don't have the the luxury of, of being angry all the time over like little things because we're already pretty stressed just with technology. And then lastly is to play real life games. So if, like they said, play games together. Like if your kid really wants is, is a big gamer, you can play games with them. They can play some games, but they also need to, you have to be the one to say at an hour, we're going to turn it off and you're going to take a break. Like this four and five hour thing when they're young is just really not good for them. But, but the difference, but also there's a huge difference between the little endorphin dopamine rush you get from playing a game. It's like ding, 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 ding. And you need like thousands of them to really make yourself kind of get uh, the joy and the of, of, an, of an endorphin rush. But in real life, if you play like, you know, in, in our things, we play like rock, paper, scissors. Like you play a real game with your family. You play a real game. You go yeah, to like, a game. It just, it's such a different endorphin rush. It's so much more satisfying than the ding, 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 ding. Like Uno or, or yeah, like yeah, an actual exactly. card game. Not- yeah. So they, they pretty much said if you play games with your family regularly, you eat dinner, you really watch how much harsh discipline and, and conversation you have, that, that you're probably going to be okay with technology. And I loved that. That was such a nice... Because what it does is it really encourages that face-to-face. And the face-to-face and dinner, you know, during dinner times can really just augment, like, a lot of the problems of, of, of not being social through technology. So when you're looking at all of this stuff and the statistics, is limiting technology or finding ways to increase social interaction, are either one of those effective in reducing the suicide rate? I don't know. And I don't know that there's a way that people have been able to, there's just so many, many factors, you know, I've, I've, because of what I do, I've, I've been, a, I, I certainly know a lot of the stories and a lot of the impacts and a lot of what was going on before people have suicided. And they're just so, it's just so complicated. Um, but I will say that just in general, anytime you're in a system that's, you know, you look at the, you look at suicide rates in countries where there's a lot of oppression, where there's a lot of stress, um, where you know that that they have higher rates. And again, depression and anxiety are things that definitely lead to suicide. And I do think that acknowledging the stress of technology and then trying to to deal with it and to to strengthen ourselves and to mitigate some of that stress. I, I think, I mean, I don't think that there's data behind that, but I do think that that um, can certainly help with suicide rates. I just think that I'm so excited that you are, you know, doing this, you're spending the time and the energy to have this program, CyberStrong, to help parents understand how to actively uh, interact with their kids and, and social media and technology and find a strong positive way you know to deal with it and incorporate it into i mean because you know we don't have a choice right right this is it's here it's not going away and and it and it is a necessary skill yes right absolutely absolutely oh yeah so we have to learn a way to interact with it positively right right so um and you're not i i still come back to the whole social interaction thing i mean there's just so many ways that we don't interact socially anymore it's just Mm -hmm. like people live in in houses that um, 
you know, with attached garages where you walk from your garage into your house. I mean, you don't, the block party doesn't happen anymore. um, There's so many ways that we've isolated ourselves in today's world. And I mean, you can argue with me. I'd love to have you tell me I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. But I think that there's ways that I think we have to start building certain things in to our lives that that are we, like that were probably there sort of naturally because we're a little bored. I mean, you know, back in the day, there wasn't as much to do. So sitting on the front porch and talking to your neighbor was something we sort of did. But now I think we have to just mindfully like say, okay. So, so I, I always say to, to, because a lot of people are pretty like socially isolated. So I always say to everybody, like you should, we should all have two or three things a week, social things, interactions with others that are built in. So Sunday nights we have dinners with, you know, grandma or we have, you know, taco Tuesdays or we go like to the, like, you know, a bunch of people. Come down to the radio room. Yeah. And on (laughs) Tuesday nights, a bunch of us are downtown eating, you know, eating downtown so we can go to the movies, dinner and a movie. So like some that you just build in, like, you know, some people go to church on Sunday. Some people go hiking with a group of friends on Saturday mornings, you know, just that you have things that you go to sort of like church, you know, like we do this thing ritually because it's not happening as organically, as naturally as it was before. But if we start, if you start having like three or four, just things that, you know, you have coffee on, you know, Wednesday morning, or you go to lunch with somebody, um, you know, meals are just such a simple, easy way to do it. Or we go to, you know, or we, we've decided we play softball, you know, just something that you are interacting with others. Um, and and not in just the work the workplace or the school setting. Um, I think that that mitigates a lot of that. But we just have to say we have to do it and build it in because otherwise it's really easy in this day and age to sort of just time just flits away. You know that it just flits away. And include your kids. Oh, absolutely. I, I know sometimes we have a tendency to. You know, we want the the date night or the and and not that any of that's bad. Right. It's just that there has to be that family time. Yeah, yeah, and with other families, just the more we're together, um, yeah, just always looking for opportunities to be with others and to and and I really believe that the bigger the group, the more kind of you know, I don't know, the more the more bang for your buck sort of, you know, you go out and you do stuff with just a whole bunch of different people. Um, I think that really helps too. So just always looking for opportunities to, to be with others is, is important. Uh, all of that's great. I think that's wonderful. Um, I think it's, it's a wonderful opportunity that you work with these young people as they're kind of at the beginning of their journey through life. Mm-hmm. Is it, um, is it something that, like, you have the opportunity to share your wisdom? Is it helping them find their own wisdom? Is it? I wish I could say I, like, was really one of those Zen Buddhists who are, like, helping, like, hmm, what do you think? But I'm, I'm pretty prescriptive. <laughs> it's like a teenager. Like, what are you doing? Uh, do it this way. Try this. Um, no. But, yeah, I just, I love being around teens. I mean, they're like all of us. All of us want to belong. All of us want to feel like we have a purpose. We have something that we can give back. Um, all of us want to be happy and have fun. Needed? Like, yeah. The purpose piece, like all of us want, you know, want to, yeah, to have something unique to give to others. Um, and I mean, all of us seek that. That's that, that hasn't changed 
before or after, you know, technology, that that's just what we're all looking for. And, um, and I really do think technology, you know, again, with all the greatness, it's been, it's been a cultural hiccup for humanity. It's been hard. I think, uh, the romance and sexuality piece that has, has, you know, hit kids is pretty significant. Um, I, I, I really, of all the areas, that's why I wrote my book, um, of all the areas that I get concerned with, uh, with teens around, um, technology, I think it's in the, the dating and, you know, romance. The lost of romance, loss of romance. Yeah. I really think of all the things I see is there's this disappointment, this just deep disappointment because they're exactly how we were when we were a kid. We're like, oh my gosh, we're going to fall in love. We watch all the movies. We all watch all the princes and princesses and we're so excited about it. And then you hit 11 and 12 and they bump into, you know, that that's the average age that they bump into internet porn. Um, and that, and what they're seeing, you know, what they see. Really? Uh, 11 and 12? 11 is the average age to bump into it. It's so, it's so prevalent. It's so easy to bump into. And then all of a sudden their, their idea of romance, I mean, it's terrifying because that it, they think, oh, that must be what, you know, real sexuality and romance and connection is. And it's so not. And they and they sort of use it as sex ed because no one's telling them like it's not like I don't I don't care what you want to say about like sex ed like where you fall but I think saying porn is not sex ed is really important like I don't care what your belief system is but like porn is not sex ed just that like I I tell kids that all the time like um, like that's not real do you know that and they're like really you know especially boys they're like really like yeah that's really not the way this whole thing works. Um, so of all the things I get worried about, I would say that that's my biggest concern with technology. Well, and that it's okay to say no. I mean, there's just so much out there like, you know, hookups that you just, you know, the girl is supposed to say yes, or she's not going to be popular. She's going to be an outcast. Well, and again, if you use the porn model, which we shouldn't be, um, it really see, I mean, one of the, one of the myths of porn is like girls are up for anything, anytime, anywhere. Oh, absolutely. And so girls believe it and boys believe it. And it's so not true. So that's like another topic. But clearly, it's something that I have a lot of thoughts about. But of all the areas that I think is so disappointing for them, and you just see kids sort of lose their excitement, because in teens, you're supposed to be so excited about dating and boys and girls. and, 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 And it's sort of overwhelming and terrifying for them. And so they go, they, they sort of seem eternally disappointed in that area i think i would love if we could bring back romance and the anticipation yeah. and, and the you know the wonder of you yeah. know finding somebody who is really special yeah. and getting to know them and and actually having that love connection before We're having goes, trust and yeah. yeah yeah all that's just gone right now so uh, that that's the area that i think of all the places i would love some assistance there's a Nick, next conversation will go there um you know, I think I see it as, you know, being being able to talk to kids. I mean, the average kid. I, I don't think, and this is my own perception, I could be totally off base here, but that they don't always want to hear what we have to say. Is there a trick to communicating with kids that that makes them more likely to hear us? Or do they need to hear us? Do we need to just be quiet? 
Well, sometimes we just talk and they roll their eyes. I remember, you know, when you're the parent, that's what you do. You talk and they roll their eyes and then they quote you when they're older, hopefully. <laughs> that's what my kid did. She rolled her eyes all the time. Like, oh. And then she quoted me. But, um, but I, think, I think the more genuine we are without, like when we don't go in fight or flight, sort of, like when we're not angry, we're not scared, we're not judgmental. Um, we don't feel insecure. Like if we just go in genuine and listen to them and say, wow, that, you know, that's concerning or this is like, this is what I think. But you're not, I just think all of us, when we just are really genuine and not judging, but just saying, wow, this is, I have concerns about this or, or this is what I think. Um, but I think talking to kids, because people aren't talking to kids as much as they used to either. I think everybody's sort of looking down at their machines and not knowing how oh, to the talk. the parents are too. Yeah, I know. That's like... They're out to dinner together and everybody's on their phone. But there's actually... I, I will say this and I believe it is that... Is it, that a judgmental it, it, comment? No, it's becoming less the norm. I mean, I also, I think it's starting to be like people look at you like, really, dude? Are you really doing that with your kid? I really think that there's more of a social norm to say, no, we don't do this. There's a great... I will I will give you this one thing. Um, so... Um, there's a great website called Common Sense Media. It's my favorite website. It answers like of all the questions in the world parents have. It's for parents, educators, and advocates. And they just have, they are well-funded. They have beautiful, great information. They'll answer any question. And they have this whole series of commercials for device-free dinners. And, uh, and one of them has, the whole series has Will Ferrell in it. And they're hilarious. Oh. And they're just wonderful about why we just, and they're not judgmental. They just sort of laugh at our own selves, you know, because we're sort of funny at how excited we can get over, you know, you know, our face being turned into a cat and, you know, and what, <laughs> and the app. But anyways, I love Common Sense Media for like tons of answers mm-hmm. around specifics around technology. So I love that. I'll check that out. Yeah, please. Um, I want to remind you, we are listening. We are talking with uh, Elizabeth Clark and talking about interacting with teens and helping them be strong in a media world and different ideas of how we can make that better. Um, this hour always goes so fast. So fast. It's just, How'd that happen? Time's just flitting away. What can I say? If you could, Final thoughts. If you just wanted to put something out there, like one key thing that you'd like everyone to think about when they're interacting with their kids and or, or interacting with technology, which would be your final thought? I guess just to be super aware of the stress on, on everybody and just, and just that to be super kind and aware if people are angry, scared, judgmental, self, you know, sort of doubting themselves and just realizing that they're probably not functioning super high, that that's sort of more like parasympathetic in the fight or flight. And that, and another, I would love to come back and talk about then all the tricks, because we didn't get to really talk about that, of ways to quickly get out of that. And just to really try, instead of engaging and having this high conflict because we're all stressed, to try to use our skills to get out of that stress mode and to not be so hard on each other when we're being dumb, when we're being, when we're scared, when we're angry and are inarticulate and just, um, and just sort of having us all root for each other to be more, to be stronger. Um, if that makes sense. I love that idea. And I definitely want to have you back and, and talk about that. Talk about some trips, tricks to, uh, lift us out of those places and into a more positive place. One of my favorite things that you were talking about was making sure we're 
creating circumstances to have that social interaction, to have family time together, to, you know, go to church, to have something where we interact with our neighbors or friends or other families just to bring people together to, you know, to have that one-on-one face to a group yes. FaceTime to, yeah. to interact, to be yeah. able to uh, be social. I thought that was wonderful. And fun and celebration and all those things. Yeah. So Elizabeth, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, um, to hear more about your work or more about CyberStrong, is there contact information for you? Um, yeah, I'm in the book under Elizabeth Clark under counseling, but it's also two four a nine seven zero two four one one seven eight zero. Awesome, thank you. I want to remind everyone that support for Cosmic Voices comes from the staff at Main Street Minerals and Beads at five two four Main Street. Main Street Minerals and Beads is your source for beads, rocks, findings, and jewelry in Grand Junction. You can be social down there too. Yes. More information at two four one four one one six. And you've been listening to Cosmic Voices with Ramona Ray and Dulcie is here with us in spirit. Yes, she is. A monthly show dedicated to conscious conversation. We're on the first Tuesday of every month at noon. And Dulcie Belboy's astrology reports and information about her upcoming workshops and classes can be viewed at astrologybydulcie.com. And thanks for living, thanks for listening. And may the power be with you. And we'll see you again in June. Thanks, guys. <laughs>